Welcome to CEO Insights, a podcast on influence and negotiation in which CEOs of international companies come to share their approach and experience of negotiation and influence. I'm your host, Ludovic Tanron. I'm a business and strategic partnership developer, lawyer, expert negotiator, and the author of The Master Key, Unlock Your Influence and Succeed in Negotiation. I have the pleasure of welcoming today Julien Tornard, the CEO of Zenit Watches, a 157-year-old Swiss watch brand, part of the LVMH Group. The brand has made a great comeback to the top thanks to Julien's leadership. Right after Julien's interview is an interview of Laurence Bonnenman, head of heritage for Zenit Watches. Laurence will tell us a love story of Matt Magandi with Zenit Watches. Don't miss it. Hello, Julien. It's a real honor to have you with us for the sixth episode of uh, CEO Insight. Thank you so much for accepting this invitation. Um, can you tell us more about uh, Zenit Watches that you represent? Yes, of course. Hi, Ludovic. I'm very happy to be here with you as well. Uh, Zenit is um, a brand I've been uh, uh, working hard on for the last five years and enjoying every moment because it's a brand that has, first of all, such a long history, long heritage. Is a very authentic brand in, in all the ways about authenticity. But it's also a brand that's projecting itself to the future. And we've been developing so many things, be so creative uh, with this brand that it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible source uh, of dynamism uh, for uh, everybody working at that brand. Fantastic. And you've done a great job because I can see that uh, Zenit is catching up now and uh, a lot of things happening. So thank you very much. I'll go straight to the first question. Please. So, so you were for a watch brand. First question, which is probably uh, to me the most obvious, is that is time a crucial part of your negotiation strategy? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, when you are uh, Swiss like me and uh, working in the in the watch industry, time is 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 everywhere. I would say, and when you start a negotiation, it's a uh, it's very important not only to 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 set it in the right timing, if I may say, at the right moment, because momentum is key. But also to 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 figure out how much time you're going to spend on that because be, be using too much time is is counterproductive. So we have to be uh, really precise on that and think about uh, how to uh, how to manage that in, in every moment, uh, whether it's in strategy or in anything we do in business. We try to keep it on time always. Yeah, absolutely. Are you more patient or a guy that gives deadlines? Um. It really depends. I would say I'm not the most patient person in general, to be honest. Uh, but I've been learning to 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 cool down and, and 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 take the right time to make the right decision. There is nothing worse for me than going too fast, and uh, just because of the rush, you realize later that you made the wrong decision. So I, I've been I've been I've been learning a bit over years. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, do you pay attention to watches people wear when you negotiate? And and if yes. What what does it often tell you? Uh, you know, it's 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 terrible. I do it all the time, not only when I negotiate, even on a private basis when I go to an event, to a dinner, and very often in the conversation I say, I noticed you wear XYZ brand. And um so yes, it's 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 really something I cannot even control. Um then after, as as many things in life, it gives you information to some extent, about the personality of the person. If it's a very bling-bling, big watch, very discreet colors or not, gold or not, uh, you tend to have 
uh, ideas behind. But I, I try to be careful on those stereotypes because today we all know that people can wear and dress and have different look. And, and, and at the end of the day, it doesn't always mean too much. So I, I, I try not to, but but it's it's sometimes stronger than we expect. And what if the person wears a Zenit watch? <laughs> Then I think it's a person of taste. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm very happy about that. And it happened to me uh, this summer on vacation where someone came to me to ask about my watch without knowing I was working for the brand. And he was also wearing another, another Zenit watch. So I started to introduce myself, obviously, and we had a great conversation. It pleases me, of course. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. That's great. So is there a way of negotiating which is distinctively Swiss, you think? Yes, I think so. I think there is one word that always comes into the Swiss culture is called compromise. And that means that um, if you want a negotiation to end in the right way, and, and, and you should never target to have a winner and a loser. You should have two people happy to leave the conversation, happy to leave the negotiation, shaking hands. And that nobody feels like, oh, okay, I, he got me. You know, it should it should be well balanced. I think this these are the best negotiations for me. And uh, um, let's say when I hire someone, I always make sure at the end of the discussion, even if we agree, that the person is is happy with the outcome, is, is happy with the result. I think this is this is a long term successful negotiation versus a very short term where you think, okay, I did win, but it's not going to last. So that's yeah. that's something compromise is key for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. And a lot of people see negotiation as a win-lose game, unfortunately. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, uh, I, I completely share your opinion. Um, so what negotiation skills as a leader will be key for you to have in order to take Zenit even higher, you think, personally? Yeah, I, I think when you negotiate, you need to be ready also to be patient. And we talked about patience. I told you, It's not my main uh, quality, but uh, you have to learn to be patient because you have to show the other people that you, you're not under pressure. Nobody's going to put you under pressure. You can wait. You have time. You know, you're never a better buyer or a, I would say you're never a better seller when you have nothing to sell. And, uh, and you have to be patient. You have to show quietness. Um, you have to observe a lot. And this is something I was not doing years ago. Also, I, I learned that you have to look at people's Uh, eyes, look, uh, body language, uh, to figure out if you're heading the right way or not, if, if the person is willing to negotiate more or not. I think it gives you a lot of information to pay attention and to give full attention to the people in front of you. That's, that's something I, I, I really uh, do much more than before. Um, I would say, and of course, you have to be able to convince because at some point you're going to fight for your own opinions and, and it's part of the negotiation. But, uh, if you only convince, You, 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 you have a lot of, you have chance to go, to go wrong in the negotiation. If you observe and if you compromise, but you also go for the, con for the conviction process, then you, you get a better outcome. This, these are things that I try to get, uh, to keep in mind all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And to be a good listener, I guess that's absolutely uh, listening is, mm. listening is so powerful and silence is so powerful. And, and again, I, 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 I know I'm sometimes trying to speak. To fill the gap, but sometimes you have to create a silence. It's quite powerful. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. What are your most successful and toughest negotiations since you started your career? You have any uh, any example? No, no, nothing confidential, of course. Huh? No, 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 no. There've been quite a few. Maybe uh, 
Maybe with my wife, these are the toughest <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, Would it be the probably... toughest or the most successful? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, probably. Yeah, probably some of the some negotiations I had in China with the landlords, uh, because you have negotiation to get a certain space or certain location for your boutique that you want to have, and you need to convince um, that your brand is going to be the good one, that they're going to also make money with your brand, and it's not always easy because when you are in the middle of China, often um, uh, you're facing many people. So you are you have a number disadvantage at some point. You definitely have a cultural and of course language um, uh, difficulty. So you have to compose with all these elements. And 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 I think Chinese for me are really among the the, the best negotiators I've I've met. And I remember some um, that took me a lot of time. And um, uh, I, at the end of the day, I think again compromise was key because if if I was standing on my positions, my initial positions. It would be it would it would go nowhere and uh, and these are probably the toughest because they also have a lot of time and they 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 let you go around <laughs> for hours unless you you ask for uh, uh, an outcome That's so these were the toughest probably yeah and is there a negotiation you are the most proud of um, <laughs> maybe maybe your appointment as CEO of Zenit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, with uh, Jean-Claude Biver, it's never an easy. He's a very good negotiator as well. Uh, but but I wouldn't say that because we kind of agree um, pretty quickly. Uh, no, I think uh, I don't have a particular example. Let me No, I don't have a particular one of that one. Yeah, no worries. No worries. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's OK. Um, trust is considered as a precondition to doing business. Um, How do you think is the best way to build trust with people? How do you gain the trust of people when you sell, when you negotiate at a personal level? Um, is there anything you pay attention to or uh, you focus on maybe uh, in order to gain that trust? I mean, you, yeah, yeah. you already work for a, a well-known brand, so I guess that helps when you give your business yeah. card. Um, but is there anything you do extra eventually? Yes, of course. I think you have a you have your your experience. You have your network. People might know who you are, so they they kind of know already more or less your your reputation. Uh, but you, each time you meet someone, you have to think that you start from zero, and that's usually the way I do so. Why would you uh, trust me? Okay, you know you read about me, you heard things about me, hopefully good ones. But are you going to trust me? I'm not so sure. So I, I always start from the beginning and, again, uh, showing people, um, giving my full attention, showing people uh, my interest, um, and, and, of course, uh, making commitment that I will hold because people might trust you once, uh, but if you don't respect what you said, if you change, if you modify things in the mm. back of the person, this is gone forever. And the trust will take probably a few moments to be gained, uh, but it can be lost in a second. So I try to be very careful on this um, to make sure that once you start building it, you go all the way and you don't stop in the middle. Uh, and, and within a negotiation, it could be tough because sometimes you have to play a bit. You want to play tricks. You want to, you know, uh, and, but it's 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 often a short-term strategy. And I, I, I really uh, believe trust is, is key. I always tell my, my people working next to me that uh, I'm someone very loyal. Uh, but I'm very tough 
on people who would not be loyal to me. I really hate that. So I, I think it's a, it's a, it's 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 a one way. You want to go this way, it works. You 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 go the other way, it's never going to be okay. So that's that's something I'm I'm very clear on the rules from the beginning. Yeah. yeah, and that helps because people believe that you have you have your own convictions, you have your own values, and uh, you know it, it makes them feel okay. This is the field we're going to play. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote from Zig Ziglar that, that I like. He, he says, "If people like you, uh, they listen to you. If they trust you." They will do business with you. I think it summarized well, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's a very good one. Yeah, yeah. It's really the the, the mindset I have. Yeah, true. Um, if you had one piece of advice to give to the future generation of negotiators, these young people joining your team, etc., what what would it be? I would easily say, be yourself. Just be yourself. Don't pretend to be someone you're not. Don't try to fake it. Because again, with experience, you learn, and some people are better than others to see um, when people are faking. But I think overall, we, we find out at some point. And, and, and there is nothing worse, you know? Uh, if you don't have the answer, don't give the answer. If you think, but you're not sure, say you think, but you're not sure. Don't try always to have answer for everything to be the first in class. I think people appreciate um, authenticity, honesty, and... Uh, Uh, we all know we have strengths and weaknesses, but I like also when someone shows me his or her weaknesses because we all tend to show the best of ourselves, which which is natural. But I think when someone tells you a weakness, it's it's actually a, a sign of strength to to my uh, to my uh, perception. So I think be yourself, be yourself, be natural, and 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 trust will be gained uh, automatically. Yeah, that's a good advice. Um, do you have any daily routine that keeps you grounded and balanced every day? I imagine you're a very busy uh, businessman traveling. How do you keep your balance and and and, and basically your um, yeah be at the top every day? Do you have any any routine that uh, that you keep every day apart from drinking wine? Yeah, exactly. Not in the morning, but later. Uh, no, I uh, yes, I do. Of course, uh, again, to be transparent, I'm not. At the top every day. Obviously, I, I I would be fake to tell you I am. So I'm trying to be when I wake up. Sometimes I'm feeling better than other days, of course. But I try to have a, a, a few things. You know, uh, uh, when I when I wake up, um, I like to get something done because there is there is no worse feeling for me than when I feel I've been wasting my time. And again, here personal basis. But my wife tells me that I'm 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 I'm, I'm a bit hyperactive, but. I take it the right way. I take it the way that I don't I don't like not to do anything. So when I wake up, I, I really want to have one thing done, one thing achieved. Usually I do my bed immediately because I think it's once it's done, you have a clean, nice bed uh, and it's perfect. And you say, okay, this is the first thing I've been doing in the day. Already, it's not a lost day <laughs> to some extent, but it's it's almost, uh, but I do it even in the hotels. You know, I'm, I mean, everywhere I wake up, tack, 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 I put my bed and then, I'm going to shower and I get ready and I go to my, um, I would say, routine. Um, then I usually like to have a, a lemon juice with water every day. That's a habit also. And if I don't have it, I don't feel I'm getting focused the way I should. You know, it's a bit like sports people. They have so many little things, little habits to do before they perform. For me, when I wake up, I need I need to get that done. And, uh, and then I'm ready. Then I can go coffee and the rest. But These two are, I would say, are really uh, every day, every day systematically. It makes you feel uh, better and in control. 
Yes, of course. I, first, I'm happy, happy because I've done something, and then I got this kind of energy boost, uh, which which helps me to to be up to speed. Yeah, that's great. Do you believe in the in the metaverse, and do you think that one day we'll all be negotiating with avatars in the future? Um, we can see more and more. Um, probably not negotiation at this stage also, although I know people who have been attending negotiations with Avatar, but we saw Facebook investing so much in this um, in this technology. Uh, I know that it's also in the luxury business. Um, we can see that um, uh, things have been developing in partnerships uh, with um, not only the metaverse, but video games, platforms and stuff. Do you think that it's the future and and one day we'll be spending more time in this uh, virtual world and negotiating through avatars? Yes, you know, I, I honestly, I, I really believe we should. Uh, we should think this is going to be a big part in the future because if you, again, to anticipate the future, I like to look in the past and I remember discussions I had with my grandfather that I was very close with that was telling me about planes and and, and phones and, and things that were so uh, life-changing for them at that time. And, and I remember me as a kid imagining one day that we could call each other, looking at each other like we're doing now. Uh, that was a fantasy, you know, and here we can, we can talk together almost as if we were in the same room, um, which is already something incredible. If you think about the, the cell phone and what you what you basically get as a source of information on any topic in this little little thing here that we all have it's 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 such an evolution that today telling you that we're not going to use a lot of this uh, virtual environment and, and metaverse i think um i would become very old if i was saying that you know i, I strongly believe we will uh, and 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 when you look at today's problematic of traveling of pollution and all that Uh, that's going to be also a way to 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 maybe reduce uh, the the traveling of people to be able to buy online, but to really enter a boutique. This is for me the future of e-commerce. You know, today you can already buy anything more or less, but uh, online. But tomorrow, uh, if I can literally step into a boutique from here from my desk, uh, I, I I get I guess it's the future of luxury. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, apparently, you know, the, the computer system in our phone is actually more powerful than the one that sent the first man to the moon, which is just unbelievable. Yeah, uh, no, it's totally, totally incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to see these partnerships and, uh, and these new things developing around uh, within actually the luxury industry. So yeah. it was great to have your opinion. Um, now I have speed run questions for you. Oh, you wanted to say please, something please. more? No, I wanted to say that it's 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 clear. It's here. It's it's ahead of us, um, but it's it's not going to replace totally. Of course, the in-store experience, the the contact that you have people to people, because this is unique, and I think no machine can fully replace that. I think it's going to be a complement. The same way e-commerce is now completing the retail or the wholesale experience. Uh, I think it's going to be an additional, but I, I, I don't get me wrong. I don't believe it's going to replace. I mean, the priority, even young people today, they we can they still appreciate to have one-to-one -one and, and physical interaction. I would say. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. So, speed round questions for you. Um, Please. The answers should be very short. Uh, the first one will be Burgundy or Bordeaux. 
I know you like wine. Still Bordeaux, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm learning Burgundy, but it's more Bordeaux, yeah. Interesting. Um, what is your favorite movie character? If you have one. Uh, my favorite movie, maybe. I like Batman. Okay. <laughs> um, you can elaborate huh, if you want, no problem. Um, <laughs> one subject you would like to learn more about? Cooking. <laughs> Goes well with drinking. Um, yeah, so now I love cooking, but I'm not so good. And uh, I, when I when I meet people who are great cooks and I I, I taste their their dishes, I'm really very very uh, in admiration. So I would love to do that. Yeah. What is on the top? What is on the top of your bucket list? Oh, you know I have a long one. I try to fill it when I'm flying. Um, on top of it, because I have a lot of things. On top of it, um, yeah, I, I've done already a few uh, extreme sports, and I'd like to uh, to do uh, to jump out of a plane, you know, with a parachute. This is something I should do hopefully quite soon. Oh, so you haven't done it yet? Okay. No, this one not yet. <laughs> Good. Um, what is the best advice you have ever received? Uh, I would say probably. I've got, I've got, I've got a few in my mind. Uh, I would say, keep grounded, keep grounded, always keep grounded. Okay. What is your favorite board game, if you have one? My favorite board game. Board, board. Ah, you mean okay? Chess. Chess. Yes, yeah. for sure. You like, you like chess? I'm, I love to play. I'm not so good, but I enjoy a lot. I, I, I get beaten up by my kids now, but I love to do it. <laughs> Would you travel? It's very relaxing. Very relaxing for me. Yeah, I like playing too. Would you travel in the past or in the future? I think in the past. Why? I would love that. Because I think the past gives you the opportunity to better understand where you are and where you go. So I would be very curious to... Uh, to learn more about the past by myself, not only to read books or look TV shows, but to go there and find out. Uh, and I, I, I like to keep the surprise also for the future. Mm -hmm. What is your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. Yeah. I'm terrible. And what is your favorite watch model? Uh, it's probably, it's probably the the Zenith Chronomaster. Um, uh, the manufacturer edition with all the three sub dials that because we found the dial in the manufacturer it had never been commercialized and the fact that we relaunched it uh, the way we did was something very special to me yeah wonderful so that's it um, that was our interview thank you so much for uh, for attending and accepting this invitation and for uh, for your insights on negotiation and influence um, I just wish you the very best and the very best for Zenit and hope we can share a glass of wine, uh, Burgundy or Bordeaux, in the near future. With pleasure, Ludovic. Thank you very much. Very interesting, great questions and always a good time with you. So thank you. And let's, let's get to meet soon. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Laurence. How are you today? Thank you for being uh, with us. Thank you. I'm very fine. Um, 
thank you for having me on this podcast. Our pleasure. So you're the head of heritage for Zenith Watches. Could you tell us more about your job? Yes, with pleasure. This um, this job is actually about understanding and uh, and making sense of what was done over Zenith's highly rich history to uh, inform the community about what they have in their in on their wrists or in their collections. And uh, also participate with my colleagues in developing what could be done next with regard to this history and also to the Zenith identity while trying to project it in the future. I see. Very interesting job. So we all remember Mahatma Gandhi as a self-sufficient man living a simple life. However, he was carrying a valuable item on him every day, a Zenith watch. Uh, can you tell us more about it? Um, how did Gandhi get this watch? Gandhi uh, indeed had this uh, this uh, Zenith watch, with, which was very dear to him. And this watch was given to him by Indira Nehru, the, his friend and the daughter of, uh, of uh, India's prime minister, first prime minister, Jawaharlal Nehru who was uh, also a companion in struggle of struggle of Zendi uh, of Gandhi to uh, to fight for independence and also people's right to be acknowledged as equals no matter what it was given to him as a present or for his birthday you you, you know in which as a present he uh, mentions it uh, in his journal Uh, as uh, as having been this gift uh, from uh, from uh, Indira Nehru. So, w w what kind of watch was it? The watch was actually an alarm pocket watch, uh, the kind of watch with which you could wake up every day, and uh, it had an interesting alarm mechanism, patented alarm clock mechanism in there, with a hinge uh, uh, with a design that was different to other pocket watches. The hinge was at noon instead of six, so that you could set it upright on your nightstand. And by doing so, the table of the nightstand would be used as a soundboard for the alarm to sound more clearly in the morning. Okay. And uh, it also had uh, luminescent numerals, oversized numerals, so that you could better read time at night. And that was this watch, which was so dear to Gandhi, and which he talks about in his journals on the peculiar incident that happened to him in 1947. We are with him on his way to uh, to Kampur on a train ride. And the watch was, to his bitter regrets, stolen for him, from him. Now, the story is not over. That's when he first mentions it in his journal by saying that he regrets so much having lost this watch. But the story, like I was saying, is not over. Six months later, He mentions the watch again by saying that the thief now in New Delhi had found him 
and giving his back the watch filled with remorse and begging for forgiveness for forgiveness so that's uh, that's uh, that's the story about this watch which we, we could uh, we could almost say was a karmic watch <laughs> that's a very very nice story does the watch still exist who owns it now the watch still exists it's a uh, actually was given by Gandhi to his granddaughter when he passed. And from this point, it eventually ended up in private collections where, from where it resurfaced in 2009 at an auction where it was sold to an Indian uh, billionaire at the time with a, uh, the bowl of Gandhi his sandals and his uh, famous round glasses for uh, for 1.8 million dollar so that means more thing. than the whole, the whole thing whole or thing. the watch uh, the, the no, whole thing the whole thing which means more than 2 millions when you include uh, the premium and from then it uh, disappeared again being in a private collection until uh, it will next resurface. <laughs> Very interesting. So, and if it resurfaces, do you would you like and you would you be capable of buying it for the own collection of Zenith? Well, of course. So it could be a, a priority, um, I would imagine. Um, it's part of uh, of India's heritage first, and uh, and its connection to Zenith. So. We're equally happy if it uh, remains in India's uh, heritage, of course, but it would be it's a valuable Zenit heritage as well. Does Zenit buy watches at auction sometime? Old models for its own collection? Do you have a museum somewhere, or um, do you do you grab these watches from time to time because they're unique? We do have a. Um, and a big collection uh, of Zenit watches to tell the history of uh, of our our firm, our maison, and we do participate indeed uh, in in uh, purchasing some uh, some of the Zenit watches that are the most iconic to tell this story, and this might happen in auctions. Uh, so we do participate sometimes in auctions, but it's a uh, it's more participate in uh, in following what the community is actually interested in at the time of the of the auctions. It's very interesting to see what kind of uh, icons they are identifying themselves next to what what uh, the maison also recognized uh, recognizes as being iconic. Interesting. So there are many. Other celebrities known for having own a Zenit watch. Can you mention some of them? Zenit was indeed worn by many celebrities over its rich history and, and head of states and so on. Uh, among them, the, the more important are the ones that fought for what they believed in, such as, uh, as uh, French aviator Blériot. For example, who had struggled so much to cross the channel by airs, or uh, Caroline Remy, a French journalist uh, and a writer 
who was also one of the first women to have run a newspaper and is very well known for having fought for women's right to vote at the very beginning of the 20th century. So there were also Danish explorer uh, Karl uh, Amundsen or, or Albert I, the Prince of Monaco, who was uh, also very famous for, for his uh, oceanographic studies. And, um, and more recently, uh, Baumgartner, Bill Clinton? the first man. Bill I'm sorry? Clinton? Bill Clinton, uh, I heard. Bill Clinton also, yeah. Okay. Uh, Carl Cox, uh, pioneer in the digging words more recently. So, yeah. Very interesting. Well, thank you very much for sharing, you know, the story uh, of Gandhi with us and the history of Zenit Watches. I'm sure that um, the people listening to the podcast uh, will find it very interesting. I hope that um, we'll be able to uh, meet one day and I will be able to uh, see uh, this nice collection of watches um, that you kept um, very uh, dearly in uh, in Switzerland. In the meantime, I wish you all the best, uh, Laurence, and um, good luck. Thank you, and uh, with pleasure to, to see you again. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. There are more coming with different CEOs, with different backgrounds, stories. Stay tuned. You can follow us on www.ludovic.online. See you soon.